Philippians chapter 2. Moms, when you got dressed today, maybe your kids went to your closet first and found this. See, the boy says, see, I told you. So that's how she does it. Happy Mother's Day to super moms everywhere. So thank you, moms. I hope your day is not like this. And when you signed up, moms, to be mothers, I hope this wasn't your reality. Of course, here we are at the Motherhood Incorporated Human Resources. Mom says, one vacation day a year, that's all I get? We call it Mother's Day, but technically you still have to work. And uh, moms, you know that's to be true, <laughs> but I hope today that you will at least get some time for yourself, for time to be treated, uh, at least to a meal or some flowers or something, so that today can be a day off uh, for you. As we were talking last week in Philippians chapter 2 at the beginning, Paul told us that we were to have the attitude of Jesus Christ as we served one another so that we would have unity in our church. Paul knows, and we should know, that the quickest way to have a church that's divided is to have a bunch of selfish people in it. Because when we are selfish, all we care about is ourselves. And selfishness brings division. So Paul told the Philippians, who were a divided church, he said, I want you to be united. And he said, the way that you are united is to think of others as better than yourself and to consider others' interests in addition to your own. And then he said, this is the attitude that you should have. And he explained how Jesus Christ had that attitude. How, how Jesus was one who gave up heaven to come to earth. Jesus was God who became a man. Jesus was one who was obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that he could show his love for us and redeem us and save us from our sin. That's the attitude that I have to have, you have to have, we all have to have. And it, in fact, it was Curtis last Sunday who said this. He said, after last Sunday's message... That's the attitude of a mom. And he's exactly right. That's the attitude that moms have. That is displayed and illustrated in Jesus and commanded by Paul. That moms have an attitude of servanthood. Moms love unconditionally. Moms will love their children no matter what they do or what they say. And isn't it true, even if you hear about someone who's committed some crime and they're on the television, mom's there telling how wonderful they are. That's a good thing. Isn't it true that when you need some comfort, when you need a hug, when you need some affirmation, who do you go to? You go to your mom. If you go to your dad, your dad usually says, suck it up and get on with it. But mom doesn't do that. Mom loves. And mom will love you no matter what you say or do. That's unconditional love. Isn't it true that God loved us, not because we loved him first, nor because we had done good things that were worthy of love, but God loved us when we were sinners and hadn't deserved anything to be loved for. God loves us unconditionally. Now, moms, I've often noticed that Mother's Day messages are often very affirming, without any challenge. And Father's Day messages are very berating of fathers, often telling us dads how terrible we are and we need to do better. And so I want to be fair. 
Mother's Day, when Father's Day comes up, we will have affirming messages for both moms and dads and challenges for both moms and dads. And so moms, I want to challenge you in this way. As much as unconditional love is part of who moms are and is the way we should love, it also can become a weakness when it becomes enabling. Because sometimes mom will not want to say no to their child or push their child or discipline their child. They just want to shower love. And when there's no tough love, that unconditional love can turn into enabling bad behavior, sinful behavior. We don't want that unconditional love to turn into that. So just watch that as you love as moms love. Moms do think of their children as more important than themselves. Isn't it true that moms will go without so that their children can have? Moms will go without food. They will go without money, without, any, without special things. Good moms will give up almost anything so that their children will survive, so their children will thrive. Thank you, moms, for having that attitude that Paul says we should have as Christians, as servants. Thinking of your children before you think of yourself. But I also want to challenge you in this way. Remember, you're not just a mom. You're, first of all, a Christian. You're also probably, if you're a mom, a wife. And you're probably a daughter, a sister. You certainly are a sister in Christ to a church family. And so my challenge to you is to remember that as important as your children are, God is more important. And there's lots of relationships in your life that are, I would say, as important as the relationship between you and your child. And so don't forget those. Because sometimes the best moms who love their children so much and put their interests first may neglect some of the others in their life because they're so focused on their kids. So remember that as a challenge. Paul also told us to think of others' interests before our own. And moms certainly do that. They think of children's interests in addition to their own. And so moms will do whatever needs to be done for their kids. Thank you, moms, for doing that. But also I want to encourage you to remember that you have interests and needs as well. And so as much as you focus on your children... Also to remember to focus on yourself, to grow in your faith, uh, for you to grow in your maturity, for you to grow in your other relationships so that you are the person God wants you to be in addition to being the mom that he wants you to be. But moms, thank you for your unconditional love, for putting your children first, for putting their interest even above your own. That's a great mom, and we need more of them. For those of you who are, thank you, thank you, thank you. But you know, as Paul told us, all of us are to have this attitude. 
Jesus was an example of one who had this attitude. But here in the rest of Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about others who also had this attitude, this attitude of a servant. The first one Paul mentions is, in fact, himself. Paul was an example of one who was a servant. Look at what he says in verses 16 and 17 of Philippians chapter 2. That I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So Paul uses two illustrations, two metaphors, and he's going to use many of them in this chapter to tell us how servants live. He uses first the metaphor of a runner. He says that he was a runner as he was a minister. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, think about this. If any of you have ever done any running, you know that running is difficult. It is hard. Even those who run, I've done a lot of running in my life. The only time I enjoyed the running is when I was done with it. That's when I enjoyed it. It was the reward at the end of running that was such a good thing that I would do it. The, the, the benefits of uh, exercise, the benefits of uh, having better lung capacity, the benefits of, of losing weight or whatever. Those were the things I looked forward to. The actual running was a drag. You know? And so it's hard. And ministry and serving God is hard. Paul uses this metaphor of running throughout the New Testament as well because of this. Unless you're running a sprint, running takes perseverance. You take the first step and you're ready to quit already. You know, you get a few feet and you're ready to quit. If you are going to finish even a mile or 10 miles or a marathon, 26 miles, you have to persevere and keep going even though it's difficult, even though you can't get your breath, even though your feet hurt. That is what ministry is like. It's persevering. It's continuing even when it's difficult. And Paul said that he had done that and that he had the hope and expectation that he hadn't done so worthlessly or in vain, without a reward. In fact, in the verse at the beginning of it, he says that he's looking forward to the day of Christ, that he stands there before God and he's in heaven and he's able to boast, not in the sense of pride, but he's able to boast in the sense of seeing all the Philippians and all the other churches that he helped found and the people he brought to the Lord, to see them all there in heaven with the Lord. That's the reward he's looking forward to. All of this hard work, all this persevering, he's doing it so one day he will be in heaven with a multitude of people he brought to the Lord and helped them to grow in their faith. It, won't that be amazing when you go to heaven? I know the thing we're looking forward to is seeing our, our family and loved ones who passed before us, but imagine seeing a host of people in heaven that are there because of you, because of your ministry, because of your faithfulness to God because of what you gave. That will be a reward worth celebrating and boasting about. That's what Paul was looking forward to. And that's why he used this metaphor of running. The other one he uses is a drink offering. We probably don't understand that as much as running. But in the Old Testament, when someone offered a sacrifice, some sacrifices were required as an atonement for sin. But a drink offering wasn't a required offering. It was a voluntary offering 
that was given at the end or in addition to the sin offering. It, it was an offering of thanksgiving. It was, in a sense, maybe an extra offering of thanking God. And so I think the way Paul uses this word is that he is a drink offering in this sense. That he is willingly sacrificing himself for the ministry and for the Philippians. And also the idea of the drink offering, of course it's a drink that you could ingest and drink it. And it's, when it's in the cup, it's there. But when it's poured out, it, it, all of it is there on the altar. The idea of Paul has expended everything he has and all of his energy and all of his life. He's pouring it all out on that altar for the Lord and for these Philippians. Paul is an example of a servant. And we should be like him. Paul then talks about Timothy. He says this about Timothy. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you as soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. Uh, Paul had met Timothy on Paul's first missionary journey. Timothy's mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice were Christians, but Timothy's dad wasn't. And Paul led Timothy to the Lord. In doing so, Timothy started to grow in his faith. In fact, Paul's second missionary journey, Timothy went with Paul. And so Paul, throughout the years, had Timothy at his side as a faithful servant whom Paul trusted. And so Paul would send Timothy to churches to Give them in a, to send messages through him or to send them to churches to teach them, to encourage them, to help them. Paul even says that he and Timothy are like father and son. That is the relationship that they had. And so Paul says first in these verses that he was one whom Paul considered as a person who genuinely cared about others rather than himself. See, this is, isn't this what Paul just said? This is the type of servant you are to be. And he says to the Philippians, I'm sending Timothy to you. I, I want him to go there so that he can tell you how I'm doing. And then Timothy was to go there as well to encourage and teach the Philippians. Paul trusted him implicitly. He trusted him with everything. And Paul said he's going. And the reason he could trust him was that Timothy cared about other people. Paul exaggerates and says there's no one else like him. Everyone else is always thinking about their own interests and their own self. But not Timothy. He genuinely cares for you and he will help you. As I said, father and son, the relationship they had over the years. Paul was Timothy's mentor. Paul was the one who led him to the Lord in a sense he fathered him. Paul and Timothy over the years, ministering side by side for the Lord... Timothy was an example of a servant who put others' interests above his own, who loved the Lord and who loved people unconditionally. Epaphroditus is the other man that's mentioned in this letter. And we know nothing about him except for what is in the book of Philippians. Paul says this about him. But I am considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, 
my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. You see, Epaphroditus had been in Philippi. That was his church. Remember, Paul had said about the Philippians that they were partners with him in the gospel and that they had partnered with him in spreading the gospel over the years. Now, Paul was in prison. In prison, he needed help. You see, in those days, the Romans weren't going to waste money taking care of prisoners. Why would they do that? You know, they spent money on building roads, building coliseums, on uh, building military, uh, building armies. This is what they spent their money on. The emperors wanted a new palace. I mean, they weren't going to spend money on taking care of prisoners. So if someone was in prison, they were at the mercy of others who would bring, give them money or give them clothes or give them food. So the Philippians had done that. They had partnered with Paul and helped him previously to his imprisonment. In his imprisonment, they sent Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was there with a monetary gift to give to Paul. Epaphroditus was there to be with Paul to meet his needs. And when he had done so, he got sick. When he got sick, the Philippians heard about it and they were concerned for him. But Paul is writing them and telling them he was sick, but the Lord healed him and now he's better. And now I am sending him back to you. So Paul writes this letter. In fact, he gives it to Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus is the one who delivers this letter to the Philippians to tell them everything we're studying here in this book. So this was how important Epaphroditus was to the Philippians and to Paul. So Paul uses these metaphors to describe him, a brother. Just like your siblings are close to you, Paul and Epaphroditus were close. Even though Paul was an apostle and Epaphroditus was just some guy at the church at Philippi. But that's how important he was in the work of the ministry, that Paul would call him brother. He also called him co-worker. Again, an amazing uh, way to describe him because Paul was an apostle and here was Epaphroditus, he was just a guy. But he worked alongside Paul to assist him and to proclaim the gospel. He's also called a fellow soldier. Paul uses this metaphor more than one place in the gospels. And this is why. A soldier has to give up his will to obey the commands of a, a commanding officer. So it's an illustration for us. As Christians, we are to give up our will and submit to the, the Lord's will. And that way we're like a soldier. Also, soldiers don't get involved in civilian affairs and things going around them. They are focused on one thing, winning a battle. And so in the same way, we are to be focused on our walk with God and proclaiming the gospel. Not to be distracted by other things that are in life. And of course, a soldier is in a battle, and we are, a spiritual battle between Satan and the Lord, between darkness and light, between good and evil. We're in that battle. And so therefore, we need to be prepared to fight, and we need to stand and fight. So as Paul uses that metaphor of all Christians, he uses it here of Epaphroditus, who's one who was a good soldier, 
remembered how to focus, remembered what he was doing, and was in that battle. Paul also calls him a messenger because he literally was. He came to Paul and brought a message from the Philippians. Now he's going back to the Philippians with a message from Paul. And he also ministered to Paul's needs. I think we need to remember, again, in this time, there were no telephones. Uh, there were no airplanes. You know, getting information from one place to another took time. And it took people. So Epaphroditus was a very important person in being the one who went back and forth between the Philippians and Paul. Again, I think maybe we would... Not think so much about him nowadays when Paul could just send an email or send a text. You know, why does he need a messenger? He's got his phone or whatever. But he needed to be able to trust Epaphroditus. Both the Philippians, as they sent him with money over miles to Paul. And as Paul sent him back with a very important letter. And the trust was there. And that's why Paul commended him so much to the Philippians as he sent him back saying he's done his work, and I want you to embrace him and welcome him home. So Paul has described for us how he, how Timothy, how Epaphroditus have this attitude of a servant, like Jesus had. There's one last thing he tells us in this chapter, and that's how we are to live our life as these Servants, he says in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice he doesn't say to work for your salvation. Paul doesn't say do good works to earn your salvation. Salvation is a gift. It's God's gift to us, which we receive by faith. We don't have to work for our salvation. But what Paul is saying here is similar to what we learned a couple weeks ago. The moment by faith we believe and are saved, we are immediately justified. In other words, now we are sinners who have been saved by grace. Our sin has been forgiven. It's no longer counted against us. And we have heaven as our home, our sins forgiven, and eternal life with God. That happens in an instant. One day in the future... Our glorification will happen in an instant. In an instant, we will be changed from these earthly bodies and from these sinful bodies to glorified bodies where we'll be in heaven with the Lord forever with no more sin and bodies that are made to live forever. That will happen in an instant. But in between is what we call sanctification. And that's when we are working out our salvation. In other words, we are becoming more and more like Christ as we grow up in our faith. As I've shared with you many times, there are Christians who have been saved for decades, but they're still baby Christians. They haven't grown in their faith. They haven't allowed God to work in them to change them. See, this part of it is work on our behalf, and it is where we cooperate with God. God saves us by gift. God changes us at the end of our life. But in between... We have to do something. We have to partner with God in a sense. Because God will give us the will. He will give us the ability. But we always have the choice to say yes or no. As long as we say no to God, we will never grow or mature. But when we say yes, we are working out our salvation and becoming more and more like Christ. And I love this part. 
Remember this, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. In other words, God did the saving by giving us the gift of eternal life. He's going to change us one day. In between, he is giving us the desire and he's given us the ability to live for him and to grow in our faith. So he doesn't even leave it up to us completely there. He's there with us. So we have the ability and we have the will that comes from God to fulfill his good purpose. Paul says this also, that we are not to grumble or complain. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. I think he probably has in mind the ancient Israelites who complained about everything. Before they were in the desert, while they were wandering in the desert, complain, complain, complain. And Paul says, do not complain. You know, of course, you know where complaining comes from. It comes from selfishness. When we are selfish, we feel like we deserve something. We feel like we're entitled to something. And when we don't get it, we complain. We complain because we didn't get it. I deserve it. So the opposite of complaining is thankfulness for receiving the good gifts that God has given us. Christians who realize that everything we have is from the Lord and we don't deserve anything are thankful rather than complainers. So Paul says, do everything without grumbling and complaining. He says to shine like stars so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. Paul tells us the generation we live in, he lived in every generation in reality is crooked and perverse when compared to the righteousness and holiness of God. And just as our generation is crooked and perverse on the one side, we should be just as righteous and holy on the other side. And that's how we shine in the darkness. If the unbelieving world and the world around us is filled with darkness, our lives should be filled with righteousness and light, a contrast. But this is the problem for so many Christians. So many Christians, what we value, what we say, what we do, what we watch, what we strive after, it's exactly the same as the rest of the world. And then we wonder why they don't want to be Christians. Well, they look at our lives and they say, well, yeah, we want the same things. We're going after the same things. Value this. I mean, my life's just like yours. Except it's even better. I sleep in on Sunday mornings. So why do I need Christianity? Why do I need you? You're Jesus. Our lives look the same to me and I get to sleep in. Well, that's because we're not living a life of holiness and righteousness. It's a contrast to the crooked and perverse world that we live in. People should see our lives and see something different than what they have. Different than what their life is like. That's not any different. We need to examine our lives and see if we're really living them for the Lord. Because it should be different. We should value what God values. Our will should be submitted to God. What we pursue should be his kingdom and righteousness. How we love should be different. Everything about our lives really should be different from the world. And If it's not, we need to evaluate it and change it so that it is. Finally, he says to hold forth or hold on to the word of life. 
16, by holding firm to the word of life. This is what he's talking about. Just like the Statue of Liberty, she's standing there with a torch. She's holding on to it. But she's holding on to it so that it can be a beacon for the world of freedom. So we as Christians do the same. We hold on to the gospel so that it can be a beacon to a lost world. That this is the truth. and This is the way of salvation. So Paul has commanded us to hold forth the word of truth. To do everything without grumbling and complaining. To be a people who are working out our salvation. This is how we live as servants as we follow Jesus' example. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And I thank you, Lord, for the examples of those who are servants of yours. My prayer is simple. May we have the attitude of Christ Jesus. May we live our life in contrast to the world so that others will see and will believe. I pray now that we would respond to what you have spoken to our hearts. And I pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.